Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a best-selling author from Pittsburgh, USA, Mr. Richard Citrin. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ash. It's wonderful to be with you and be with your audience. Thank you. Richard is the author of uh, Strategy-Driven Leadership, a playbook for developing the next generation of leaders, and the, the, the author of The Resilience Advantage. And you can see both these authors, both these books behind Richard over his left shoulder. Um, Richard was recognized as champion of the year by Standing Firm, and he's been named to the Million Dollar Consulting Hall of Fame. So Richard, before we talk about your books, tell me a little bit about your own journey. Well, I, you know, my journey has been fascinating. It has been a, a great success. I am, uh, I am trained as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, I served as a clinician in my early work and uh and i actually my wife and i both got our degrees at the same time mm -hmm. and we we um we moved to texas where she taught at the university and i worked at the university uh becoming a psychologist there working mm -hmm. on my clinical skills and excellence and and ash i adhere to that that model that malcolm gladwell talks about about attaining ten thousand hours to develop your mastery in a particular mm. skill Correct. and during the first five years of my early professional career i was focused on developing those clinical skills and 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 because i think i was so focused on it and i was so passionate about it mm. it enhanced my my life by teaching me how to communicate not just effectively but powerfully mm. uh, as i as i built my my clinical practice my wife and i formed a large clinical and consulting professional group of psychologists and mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. We're very successful and eventually sold that practice, sold that business to a national healthcare company here in the United States that was trying to bring together different uh, practitioners for behavioral health psychologists, social workers, counselors, things like that, mm -hmm. uh, and went and got involved in corporate healthcare. Uh, corporate healthcare here in the United States is the, probably the largest industry uh, that operates, as I imagine it is in India as well. Mm -hmm. uh, organizations have brought together groups of professionals, and we worked on building uh, not just this group of professional behavioral health specialists, uh, but also consulting to businesses. And I think one of my most powerful experiences in that regard was after the tragedy of 9-11 in 2001. Uh, we were living in the Dallas Fort Worth area, which was the global headquarters for American Airlines. Mm -hmm. And on 9-11, uh, I received a phone call from American Airlines asking us if we could bring some practitioners to their customer service offices mm -hmm. uh, for the evening, for the night, uh, because the customer service people had been dealing with people calling about the tragedy. American mm -hmm. Airlines lost two airplanes mm -hmm. that day. Yeah. Uh, and over the next three or four months, we spent... Uh, every day uh, at the American Airlines headquarters or at the airport, a meeting with employees. Of course, no one was flying, mm. uh, so it would just be staff at the airport. And there would be empty terminals. It was eerie, of course. Yeah. Uh, and and we worked with the staff and the people at American Airlines during that period of time, and really began to see the power of working mm. uh, with groups and organizations 
in addition to working with individuals. And that got me involved in looking more around organizational development, working with businesses in a consulting way, mm. uh, both in terms of the resilience work uh, and also in terms of leadership development. Correct. Uh, that became an important factor in, in how effective employees were. And interestingly, we were just beginning to see this change in recognizing the importance of interpersonal skills mm. that leaders need to have, emotional intelligence, for example, mm. that leaders need to display. 20, 25 years ago, there was not much interest in this. Uh, and today, that's all people are interested in, right. is how well we care for people in, in the workplace, how we are able to help retain them. Mm. Uh, so that was my path and my that's journey in, into that work. And then for the last 10 years, I've been doing uh, independent consulting with businesses, organizations, and individuals around leadership, uh, leadership development that effective organizations. Fascinating, fascinating. It's been a great journey. It's been great fun. Absolutely. So, you know, when I was reading about you and preparing for a conversation, uh, it was, you know, what struck me was a comment which says you bridge the gap between business, psychology, and entrepreneurship. Help me understand this and please give me an example. Well, that, that's been my career path, uh, has been psychology, business. Actually, you know, my business experiences started even earlier. My father owned a small business. He got involved in becoming a stockbroker. Uh, and I remember he would be working on his stock charts when I'd be working on my on my uh, algebra. Uh, <laughs> and he, he would share stories about business. And so I always had a fascination with, with business, mm -hmm. yet I was fortunate enough to learn that my greatest skill was really around helping people. Mm -hmm. That was my superpower, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was lucky when I was 19 to discover that because unfortunately, as you know, many people never discover what their greatest strength is, what yeah. their superpower is. Mm -hmm. uh, so that allowed me to begin thinking about how do we build, bring together mm -hmm these two. And I remember early in my career when I worked for a manager who was not very understanding or empathetic or very effective in communication, mm. saying to myself, you know, how much better would he be as a leader? How much more would he inspire? How much more would he encourage? Mm. How much more productivity would we get from him if he were able to communicate effectively? Mm. So that was the first bridge that I made. Mm. And then as I ventured into entrepreneurship and built several businesses, I began to see the connection between all three of these. Mm -hmm. And so I, what, I, what I often, one of the things I do here uh, in Pittsburgh is work with several startup organizations. Mm -hmm. And as you know, startups are very much focused as they need to be on development of their product, development of their concept, mm -hmm. and demonstrating the effectiveness of that. And what we're seeing today is that because they can't do things, the entrepreneur in the early days was able to do things by herself or by himself. Uh, today, that's not possible. You've got to bring other people in. You've got to be creating that, mm -hmm. that culture, that workplace environment mm -hmm. that brings all of those factors together. Uh, so I think that that has been my experience. And, and so I've been able to work with a number of different companies in regard to helping bring those three together, really thinking about them as three mm -hmm. core concepts for leaders to be working on and thinking about. Fascinating. So let's talk about your book now. Uh, and for my viewers and listeners, I'm just going to repeat the title, Strategy Driven, Driven Leadership, a Playbook for Developing the Next Generation of Leaders. So I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Mr. Richard Citron's book on Amazon. I will go and check it out myself. Please. So, 
So Richard, uh, you know, you emphasize the importance of strategy-driven leadership. What does that term mean to you? And why do you think it is so critical for effective leadership? Well, I want to mention that I co-wrote the book with Michael Couch, who's okay. been a colleague for 10 years. And, mm -hmm. and Michael has a long background in, in human resources and organizational and leadership development. Mm -hmm. And Michael and I have been working together. It's a fascinating partnership that we've yes. had for 10 years. We work independently. And I think we're a very good model of how people can come together to create something. Yep. Out of the work that we've been doing, we came to write strategy-driven leadership. And mm -hmm. I think the, the element of it that I think is so important, Ash, is that you can turn to any leadership book, and I know uh, you and I have talked about this, that there are hundreds, if not thousands of leadership books that are published every year. And they will tell you things like, this is the most important aspect of leadership to have. You have to be a good financial manager to be a great leader. You have to understand the finances, or you have to uh, be very acute around lean technology and understand how to be efficient or you have to be a good listener and you have to encourage your employees. All of these things that people say are important for leadership, which are, mm. I wouldn't dispute those. And these often change year to year. Mm. You know, we've come out of the pandemic. Now there's new skills that leaders are supposed to have. All of those are important. Our basic premise is that the key skills that a leader must demonstrate mm. are based on what the current strategy is for the business. Mm. And the, the simple example I like to use is that whatever your business strategy was in January of 2020, mm -hmm. on March, March 24th in India, when the country was locked down, you needed to develop a new business approach to leadership. Absolutely. The strategy of the business changed dramatically, mm -hmm. and therefore the leadership skills. So if the leadership goal in 2024, 2020 in your business was to grow by 10% by increasing sales mm -hmm. and increasing face-to-face -face visits with customers mm -hmm. by 20%. If you didn't have a new plan by April 1st for addressing mm -hmm. that, your business was going to have a lot of trouble because your employees couldn't go and visit, mm -hmm. your salespeople couldn't go and visit their customers mm -hmm. all of 2020. Mm -hmm. And that is the key essence of strategy-driven leadership is that well, that's one part. I guess the second part I would say is that leaders are made and not born. Mm -hmm. So there are sets of skills that are associated with the, the with the strategy requirement that an organization must have, and those skills can be taught to leaders. Well said. Great response. Thank you. So, you know, uh, you were also mentioning that you do a lot of work with startups. My question is, what are some of the challenges you see young leaders facing? And how can organizations and mentors help support their growth? You know, I think the, you know, I, I, part of me is a big believer in the generational differences that are talked about. And a part of me says, you know what, the world isn't that different. Uh, young leaders have the same struggles that, that, young, that, that you had as a leader or that I had as a leader when we were younger. The circumstances are different, technologies, obviously much more powerful today than it was uh, when when I wrote my dissertation for my doctorate right. uh, just to go to the computer center and got my 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 research done on big green oh. sheets <laughs> okay you know so things were much different today than they are now I think for younger leaders 
Uh, what they're really needing is the expansion of the required skills. Again, what's the strategy for a leader in a business? It's not enough to simply be strong technologically. Uh, I, part of the startup work I do is work with family offices and family businesses. Mm -hmm. And what we see in uh, those organizations is that the younger people are very strong technologically. They have the strong technical skills mm -hmm. and they haven't necessarily developed the people skills mm -hmm. that are required. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, with entrepreneurs, um, you know, I, I've, I've reviewed many people's pitches, mm -hmm. pitch decks, mm -hmm. and said to them, you know, what are you trying to uh, accomplish in this pitch deck? How well have you communicated your message? Have you been able to say it? Uh, you know, in, in 45 seconds, mm. uh, because that's all as, uh, uh, an investor is going to be look at, looking mm. at, or, or that's all your CEO is going to have time for. That mm. CEO is going to want to know very quickly what are the key themes you're wanting to address. They want something different, they'll ask for it. Correct. I had one, um, one entrepreneur I worked with, a young woman, who, who would prepare 30 slide decks mm -hmm. to present to her CEO startup leader. Mm. And, you know, it was a 30 minute meeting. Mm. Wow. So, you know, I, I, we got her down to five, five slides mm. uh, that communicated the key messages with minimum words, images, mm. uh, graphs, and charts mm. uh, that were legible. And that's so filled with data right. uh, that the information that was, that was transmitted to that, to that leader. Fascinating. And uh, what are some of the key elements that contribute to team success? To team success? Yeah. You know, I, I think there are, um, there, there's a model that I like to use around team success that emphasizes four or five different factors. Mm. You know, one factor is, is trust. Mm. How do you build trust in a team? And that's the most critical, critically important aspect. Mm. And I think the answer, the quick answer to that is that you build trust in a team by having people do things together. Mm. And I don't necessarily mean social things. Mm. If there are, you know, I, I work with a number of companies where uh, the, the teams are matrix to one another, mm. uh, that meaning that they have to work together, but there's no official reporting line to them. Mm. And in those situations, uh, I like to suggest that the leader bring the teams together for a common project, bring four people, two from each team, Mm. together for, for formal projects, perhaps to plan the bigger project. Mm. Let them work together. It's not enough to go out uh, for coffee or have you know a, a social event. Those are great. Mm. But, but having people work together is really critical because it contributes to another important factor, mm. which is how do people team together? Mm. How do they come together and work together? And what are the requisite skills for effective teaming? How well do they listen? Mm. How well do they understand? How well do they communicate? Right. How well do they get a task done? Uh, another factor is, is called thrust, mm -hmm. uh, which is what are we working on? Are we all clear and aligned? And I know one of the areas that you have great interest yeah. in is around culture. Mm. You know, culture is very much around what we want to try to get done here or how we get work done mm. about this organization. Uh, and so understanding what our mission is, and, and I often will say to people when I interview them in an organization, I'll ask the same question. Tell me what, tell me what your work is about. Mm. I might interview 10 different people and you know this as well. Not surprisingly, I may get three or four or five different answers from those 10 people. Yep. Well, I know what the problem is. We don't have a common thrust. Mm. 
Well said, well said. My next question to you is uh, that in today's fast-paced world, what are some of the important skills and qualities that a leader needs to have? Well, you know, again, to me, it always comes back to in, in service to what? Right. You know, so again, if we ask the question, what's an important skill in this fast-paced world for a leader to work in? I would say if you're working in a fast-paced environment, then you need to have this skills. If you're a surgeon, however, mm -hmm. uh, you you don't want to be, there, there may be elements of it that are fast-paced. Uh, however, you also want to be thoughtful mm -hmm. about what you're doing. Right. Uh, I worked with a fellow at a bank who, who was responsible for risk management. Uh, so he was the person who, if the bank got in trouble for making bad loans, he would be in trouble. Right. Now, it was fast-paced, yet he also needed to recognize that he needed to be thoughtful and, and um, disciplined in how he approached his work. Mm. Uh, and I think that would be probably, you know, if I were to answer the question of what do we need in a fast-paced world, mm. I think what we probably need in a fast-paced world is to slow down a little bit. Correct to make sure that we're breathing, uh, that we're observing our environment, that we're look, looking at the big picture mm -hmm. and don't get so narrow focused mm -hmm. in our viewpoint that we're not able to see the broader view of what's going on in the world. And that, that skill, sometimes we think of it as strategic thinking. Sometimes we think of it as global perspective. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we think of it as, as understanding technology. It comes back to the idea of strategy-driven leadership that, that, that what are the skills that are required? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about rapid decision-making, it's about effective decision-making. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are the components of, of effective decision-making? And certainly urgency has its place. Mm -hmm. um, I, my concern is, you know, uh, you, you offer a wonderful uh, program uh, for your viewers, where you condense these programs into one minute, mm. uh, key pieces of information which are vital. Uh, yet I also hope it gets people to look at the longer presentation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they see the bigger picture. Absolutely. I think that's an important lesson uh, for uh, for everyone mm. to see. It's not for us to get carried away by the fast pace and seeming urgency of what's going on in the world. Uh, a second is still a second. Absolutely. And uh, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities for leaders who embrace a strategy-driven approach to leadership? Well, I think there's two elements of it that I think are most important. One is, and this happened to me in my own career, Ash, uh, when I went, uh, after I worked for the company that acquired my business, uh, I was recruited to a much larger institution I went from a company with um, uh, 1,500 employees to a company with 50,000 employees. Mm -hmm. I have to admit in that leadership role that I had, uh, and I was second, third tier of leaders, so I was pretty high up in the organization, uh, that, I, um, that I lacked some of the skills. And when I went to my, my boss, and she was president of this entity within this organization, uh, she told me, you should already have those skills. Uh, but I didn't. And her telling me that I should have them didn't really help me. Uh, and what I had to discover is what were the skills. And for me, the skill that was lacking was influencing. 
I was not as strong, even though I said I was a great communicator, I was a great communicator one-to-one. -one. I was not a great communicator influencing others. And that was what I recognized I needed to embark on developing, uh, was a greater skill in how I can influence groups. What are the influencing strategies? How do you get people to, to see your point of view Right. Without using authority, I could I could use authority to my direct reports. Mm. I couldn't use authority to my peers or my managers. Mm. I had to develop other strategies. So I think first and foremost for the strategy-driven leader, recognizing that we don't have all the skills. There are some things we do magnificently, some skills we do okay, mm. some skills we don't do that great in. How can we improve all of those skills? And that really is by looking at what the particular skill sets might be, whether it's collaboration or managing conflict or influencing or decision making or planning. There are 40 different skills that I work with that that can be identified and developed for people. I think the other important area, which I know is very important to you, is around developing younger leaders. Correct. And I think this is vitally important. I think younger leaders get too quickly caught up in the, you know, I want to be a strategy leader. I want to think strategically. Mm. I want to be responsible for building everything mm. as opposed to thinking about uh, how do you develop people? How do you, de how are you a good operator? Are you efficient at actually making things happen? Mm. Uh, how are how good are you at influencing? A and what kind of learner are you? Mm. Are you committed to lifelong learning. I know that's it. I've listened to your podcast. I know lifelong learning is vitally important to you. And until your, your last day on this earth, I know you'll be learning something. Absolutely. I have that same attitude. Mm. And so how do we convey that to leaders mm. uh, that they shouldn't expect to know everything? Correct. Correct. One of your podcasts is about what we learn from failure. Yeah. Gee, failure has been my probably <laughs> my greatest teacher. Absolutely. In fact, my last book was on failure. Ah. Um, but uh, I've got time for two more questions, Richard. And uh, my next question is that, you know, when I was reading again about you, uh, you speak about exploiting the inevitable. Yes. Uh, help me understand how one can exploit the inevitable and if possible, give me an example. Well, this comes from my work in resilience. Uh, and part of my work in resilience, and we can talk about this perhaps another time, yeah. is the notion that we often can predict or see when we're going to be facing stressful or difficult kinds of situations. Mm. I think the example I would use about this, and this comes from one of the areas of, of the nonprofit mm. sector that I worked in, uh, in here in Pittsburgh and across the United States, and I, I hope you have them, I'm sure you have them in India as well. We have community food banks that provide food for people who are uh, who, who don't have access, easy access to food. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and when the pandemic started, and I'll, I'll bring up the pandemic again, uh, the, the food bank, people, they would send food to food pantries and people would come and pick up the food. Uh, on that Sunday, and here in the United States, I think it was a Thursday that, that we shut down. Mm. Uh, on that Sunday, the CEO of our lo local food bank mm. called together leaders uh, in her team uh, at the office because they weren't sure they could do it yet. Mm -hmm. And over the course of four hours, they came up with a plan for delivering food mm -hmm. to people around the city of Pittsburgh mm -hmm. so that they could sustain uh, their mission and provide food for people who were shut in and couldn't get out either because they didn't have access to a vehicle or they couldn't even walk to their food pantry or because they were restricted from doing so. 
uh, when I and I, I've worked with the food bank, so I had I was very proud of them for doing this. And when I talked to the CEO, mm. uh, 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 her name escapes me at this moment, um, Lisa Sales. Uh, Lisa told me that she talked to her team about how we had to change our model that day mm. and how they came together recognizing what would be happening over the next several days, weeks, and months, mm. even if the country wasn't locked down for as long as it was, and begin to planning how they would change their model. And what was most fascinating to me, Ash, was that she said, in the old days, two weeks before, it would have taken them nine months to have implemented this kind of policy mm. because they would have had to go through legal review and regulatory review. They would have sent it to the national organization to make sure they were okay with it. Mm. But because there was urgency to the situation, they changed their decision-making approach mm. and really their, their compliance approach as well. Mm. And I think that to me is an example of looking at a situation that we recognize is going to happen and not just dealing with it. Dealing with it would have been to say, well, we'll speak to our lawyers on Monday. We'll see what modifications can do. We'll send a memo out to people and see, you know, tell them we can't change anything because of this. And instead they made that change very successfully and powerfully. And I think that happens every day in business and in our lives that we recognize there's going to be challenges uh, that are happening. Uh, I'm supposed to, uh, help score a collegiate golf tournament on Saturday here wow. in Pittsburgh. It's going to rain. Uh, my wife and I are doing it together. I'm going to go make sure that we both have big umbrellas to protect ourselves. <laughs> I'm exploiting the inevitable because I want to do this. I want to support these young athletes uh, and attend this. I think it'll be fun. So I'm going to exploit it to make sure I have a beautiful umbrella to take with me to the uh, tournament this Saturday. How wonderful, how wonderful. And my last question to you, Richard, and this is for the thousands of people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your amazing journey up across so many different uh, organizations and all the work that you've been doing, what would you say are three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away um, on, on leadership or strategy-driven leadership from your journey and from our conversation? Well, thank you for asking me that question, Ash. It's, it's a great question, and, and I, it's one that I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the, the first most important thing is discover where your superpowers are. Yeah. Recognize and own what it is that you do well and what it is that you don't do well. Yeah. So that, so that if there's a skill you don't have, you can find somebody who can help you accomplish that Mm. that task because there are other people who do things better than you do mm. i think the second task the second element relates to that one as a leader which is you can't do it by your on your own mm. and we refer to it as the the white horse syndrome yeah the, the belief that somehow you're a knight in shining armor mm. who comes in and rescues the damsel in distress and you Correct. do that on your own nobody does things on their own yeah you want to the building the skill of collaboration, <clears throat> excuse me, building the skill of collaboration and communication, learning how to deal with conflict. All of those elements are critically important mm. uh, to recognize and, and building the skills of collaboration and working mm. with others is vitally important. Mm. And I think the third skill that I would say is, is primary to me 
uh, relates to being able to see the bigger picture. Mm. You know, you know, uh, when we watch the news in the evening or we turn on our, our favorite news feed mm. or you know, we're, we're watching a TikTok video or an Instagram video or whatever it is, Mm-hmm. The focus is often on what's wrong, what's not working. And you know, that's how you get attention. That's how the media gets clicks. Correct. That's how many people get clicks. I mean, that's what the disinformation is about and everything yeah. else. And so, you know, we want to see the bigger field, see the bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. Don't just be focused on what's happening in your company. Look at what your competitors are doing. Uh, it may create some jealousy for you. Mm-hmm. It may create some confidence for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, connect with people in, in your industry. Get to know what other people are thinking. Become that thought leader mm-hmm. uh, by becoming a knowledge expert mm-hmm. in what you're doing and recognizing that the world is bigger than what's going on in your mm-hmm. city, town, or uh, or even country. Mm-hmm. You know, Today, it's so amazing to me how uh, young people, you know, they, they spend their, their, their junior year in high school in Portugal for six mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent my junior year in, you know, at home. Yep. I was in high school. So the opportunities to develop that global perspective are so important. And I think seeing that bigger picture I is agree. one of the things I think is going to make a tremendous difference in how magnificent the world is over the next 30 years. Absolutely. Well said. And on that note, Richard, and your three amazing lessons, discover where your superpowers are. Um, I love your white horse syndrome, which really says you can't do everything on your own. And third one, which is such a powerful one, look at the bigger picture. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your journey. Thank you for talking to me about your book, Strategy Driven Leadership. Thank you also for speaking to me about so many different aspects of leadership. We will schedule another conversation to discuss your other book on resilience because resilience is a topic that I would love to talk about. It's something that I would love to understand more from you. Thank you for speaking to me and good luck to you. Thank you so much, Ash. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.